hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Real quick before we get started, I want to tell you about the Build Something Weekly newsletter. It is weekly, it is free, and you will get tips, tricks, and tools delivered directly to your mailbox. I will recap the current week's episode and all of the takeaways. I'll give you a top story, content I wrote, and then some recommendation that I've been using that I think you should check out. So it is free. It is weekly. It's over at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. Go ahead and sign up over at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 218 of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? The podcast that offers actionable tech tips for small business owners. My name is Joe Casabona. I'm your host. And today our sponsors are Text Expander, Restrict Content Pro, and the Events Calendar. You'll be hearing about them more later in the show. Right now, I want to bring on our guest, Jason Meller. He is the CEO and founder of Collide. And we're going to be talking about restructuring of how SaaS products are built, uh, how comprehensive solutions can impact scalability. And of course, we'll learn a little bit about Collide. Jason, how are you today? Good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Excited to talk about SaaS. Likewise, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, when uh, when uh, you all reached out to me, I was excited to kind of hear. You know, we talked. We've talked about SaaS before on this show, but a lot of stuff has happened since that episode. I feel like, um, well, the global pandemic is one thing that happened, uh, but also we've just seen a little a big, thing. Yeah, just just that <laughs> small thing. Uh, that's been going on for a year now as we record this. Um, but also, uh, we've seen a big rise in things like no-code solutions and, yeah. and things like that. So uh, I'm excited to, to talk more. The show has also pivoted from a, a big focus on WordPress products to just general technology products. So I'm excited with that in mind to get started. Um, but before we talk about all things SaaS, why don't, we, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, as you said, my name is Jason Meller. I'm the CEO, founder of Collide. But before that, you know, my whole career has really been about cybersecurity and not just, you know, securing devices and organizations and things like that, but actually building products for other folks that are in the cybersecurity discipline. I found out very early on in my career that uh, while I really enjoyed, you know, the practitioner part of you know, being an incident responder and, and looking at it like cyber intelligence and things like that. I, as an engineer and someone who's really obsessed with product, I found I got way more out of actually building the tools and capabilities that made those people a lot smarter, better and faster at their jobs. I found that out in my first, you know, real job doing this uh, professionally at General Electric on their computer incident response team, where I was hired on the team to really be doing intelligence type stuff. And then I just kind of was like, man, I really want to build really cool tools for these really smart people on my team. And um, I ended up doing that and then basically building an entire career out of that. I moved on from GE to a company called Mandiant. 
They were sort of the company that you would call if you were compromised by one of those super advanced threat actors. And I'm talking about like nation states like Russia and China. You would mm. call this company and then they would wow. send these consultants, you know, in suits and ties. And we were called the million dollar company because if you gave us a call and we actually sent out consultants, you were probably going to be paying us at least a million dollars to deal with a major incident response effort. So in that context, it was a lot of fun building products there. And then over time, I realized that I was really good at kind of the business side of this as well. And I wanted to strike out and do my own thing. And that's uh, how I started to collide in, in 2016. It was really uh, a point in my life where I decided, you know what, I think I can build my own product. I want to build a business around it. I want to do a startup. And uh, I transitioned uh, from my last organization to, to starting the company. That's fantastic. Uh, so, I mean... Sounds like you're doing some really, I was going to say high level stuff, but it's probably more low level stuff, right? You're building products to help with cybersecurity. Um, Mandy, and it seems like they're probably pretty busy uh, given the current events that are going on and all the breaches that we've been hearing about lately. Yeah, um, yeah. So my the CEO there, Kevin Mandia, he was actually just doing a congressional testimony uh, a week or so ago over the SolarWinds hack. Um you know, where they found basically all this malware and this very, very popular, you know, security product that most companies have and, you know, uh, directly attributed to a major nation state that was using it to do reconnaissance and other types of really scary stuff on all our organizations. So uh, when I was working there, Kevin was always on the ground floor of like probably the most important incidents of that time period. You know, we were responding to all the major ones that were happening when I was there in the, the early 2000s. But, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, I really like to kind of go well level into the stuff. The reality is, is the reason why I got into building products in the first place is I actually like distilling down really complicated topics to people who have never been exposed to them before. So a big part of what we do at Collide is we try to make these really complex topics something that's accessible to someone who's entering the, the industry, they're a first-time practitioner or even end users who have this type of software, endpoint monitoring software on their devices. And I'll talk a lot, a little bit about that later in terms of the ethics around that. But ultimately, I really love talking about these types of topics with beginners and people who are just interested in the industry. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And cybersecurity is definitely something that I am interested in as well. I want to dig more into it. I think that's probably a great topic for us to talk about and build something more. So if you are a member, you will get that in the episode you're listening to right now. If you're not, you can sign over, uh, sign up over at buildsomething.club. Uh, so we'll talk about cybersecurity and build something more. I'm really excited about that. Uh, let's, let's get back into uh, SaaS stuff because I just started thinking about all these questions for later. Um, <laughs> uh, so your your current SaaS uh, Collide is focused on uh, cybersecurity or or data security in some way, right? Yeah, we actually call it honest security. So a big thing that I wanted to tackle when we started Collide was I just felt that the current security industry was really almost sick in the sense that we as engineers and people who work for large organizations we started these companies. And then we are provisioned these laptops, or sometimes we're even allowed to bring our own. And all the cybersecurity software is sort of foisted onto that laptop. And now that we're working from home and everything, it just felt weird to me that the software, which you know can open up 
you know, programs. It can really understand what your web browser history is and can do all these things in the name of security. It just felt like to me that um, we really need to explore the privacy and the rules of engagement for how the security team should really be interacting with end users. End users in the security team don't really have like a really good relationship at most companies, even really technical organizations. The people who are building stuff feel really frustrated by the limitations imposed by the security team. You get these laptops, they're super locked down. Oh, I can't get like Docker working. Is it because my firewall is messed up? And oh, I can't even play with the firewall because all the options are grayed out. This is pretty typical. And there's just no one out there that was really thinking about this. So I wanted to build a security product that really focused on making that relationship between the security team and the end users a lot better and actually putting them on the same page on a, a lot of different cybersecurity issues, like keeping their computer up to date and, and working properly without having to lock it down. So um, while uh, you know, cybersecurity and endpoint security are huge technical topics, our application is actually really simple. It's actually uh, a web app and it also is a Slack app. So we work with companies that use Slack and we use uh, an application that we built and we, we serve from the Slack app store and we actually work together with them to build this experience where you can actually work with the security team and, and collaborate on all the maybe the issues that you have on your device, like the firewall being off or your missing patches. And it's really about having a hand on your shoulder from the security team, letting you know how you can manually get your device into a secure state without having to you know, opt into all this additional management, which could really impact productivity. So I wanted to build a product in that space, which is not a space that exists. So I had to write a whole manifesto about what Honest Security was. Uh, it's free. It's on a website called honest.security. That's the whole domain. So if you go there and check it out, you can kind of get a sense of what we're going for with that entire topic. But yeah, that's what the product is in essence. This episode is brought to you by Restrict Content Pro. If you need a fast, easy way to set up a membership site for yourself or your clients, look no further than the Restrict Content Pro WordPress plugin. Easily create premium content for members using your favorite payment gateway, manage members, send member-only emails, and more. You can create any number of subscription packages, including free levels and free trials. But that's not all. Their extensive add-ons library allows you to do even more like drip out content, connect with any number of CRMs and newsletter tools, including ConvertKit and MailChimp, and integrate with other WordPress plugins like BBPress. Since the Build Something Club rolled out earlier this year, you can bet it's using Restrict Content Pro, and I have used all of the things mentioned here in this ad read. I have created free levels. I've created coupons. Uh, I use ConvertKit and I'm using it with BB Press for the forums. I'm a big fan of the team and I know they do fantastic work. The plugin has worked extremely well for me and I was able to get memberships up and running very quickly. Right now, they are offering a rare discount for How I Built It listeners only. 20% off your purchase when you use RCP How I Built It at checkout. That's RCP How I Built It, all one word. If you want to learn more about Restrict Content Pro and start making money with your own membership site, head on over to howibuilt.it slash RCP. That's howibuilt.it slash RCP. Thanks to Restrict Content Pro for supporting the show 
And now let's get back to it. You know, I was self-employed for a long time, and then I worked for my alma mater, the University of Scranton, which for all intents and purposes, most higher ed educations are giant corporations with nonprofit budgets. Um, And, you know, there, there was a back and forth between me, a web developer, who or I, a web developer, who likes to try out new tools and new local development environments and the, the lockdown nature of my machine, right? I couldn't access certain ports. I had to put in requests with the other department in our IT uh, area right. to get, and it would take me a couple, I just started bringing my own laptop in and, and doing things. Bingo. Like, that's yeah. exactly the problem we're trying to solve, right? Because I think there's a lot of security teams out there that believe that they are actually solving a security issue by locking down these devices. But what they're really doing is they're pushing, they're actually killing their own visibility into the issue because people are bringing their own laptops in because they feel so you know, trapped by these restrictions. They can't get their work done and they need to. I mean, for their, it's their livelihood. They have projects. They have expectations that they've made with their boss. You don't really want to wake up like 10 minutes before uh, you're about to give a presentation and realize, oh, I can't even turn off screen lock. My demo is going to get all interrupted when I'm recording because it's like set to some insane degree. Um, We just at Collide, we believe that end users really do have enough capability and knowledge to manage the security of their device. They just need to know what to do and understand what the expectations are of the security team and should be giving a little bit of nuance and, and and I, I would say some, you know, latitude in terms of how they really can manage that based on the circumstances that they're in. You know, if I'm in an airport, yeah, that's probably the right place for me to really set the screen lock to be like two minutes because I might get up, mm-hmm. I might go to the bathroom, I'm going to leave the whole thing out. But if I uh, am at home and it's, you know, we're all home from COVID-19 working remotely, I don't need it to be two minutes. Like I'm here, I'm surrounded by trusted family. No one's coming over. Those are decisions I can make as long as I'm staying within the parameters of what the security team really expects me to do. And, you know, I can have a conversation with them. Then that's a much better solution than just wholesale locking down everybody to like the, the worst possible level, because that's the only way you can do it. Right. And I mean, not to mention, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a savvy enough person to know what I should and shouldn't be doing on the Internet. Uh, most times I'm not saying I'm foolproof, but. The, the big warning signs are there. But, you know, for the faculty at the university who might not know better, who are equally as frustrated, who then bring their laptops in, they might be even more compromised now because now they're coming right. on the network, they're doing stuff. We one time, maybe this is a story for Build Something More, but we one time had like this JavaScript inserted into every single page of our content management system. Uh, so maybe uh, I will tell that story and build something more. But it, it's just... It's frustrating. And so it seems like you had the passion for this. You have the domain knowledge. Did you do other research to, to see if this was something that was uh, vi- like viable from a market standpoint? Yeah. So I, I guess a piece of advice for the folks out there who are thinking, you know, I want to do a startup and maybe I want to build SaaS, a SaaS product specifically. Uh, I remember when I was a lot younger, I would often have ideas. And then the first thing I would do is I would go on Google and I would go and see if anyone else had thought of that idea before. And then if I found any version of that idea out there, I was immediately discouraged. I was like, oh, this isn't a new thing. I don't want to do it. But what I've learned over time is that oftentimes uh, your passion for something doesn't necessarily, just because there's something out there doesn't necessarily mean you don't 
have you have to avoid doing it. Like you can have a better iterative take on something out there that already exists um, without. Uh, you don't have to come up with like something completely brand new and novel 100% in order to be successful in business. Sometimes it's just an improvement or, you know, just a, a spin on something that exists out there. And, you know, for honest security, there was really nothing out there that, that uh, I would say existed that really kind of focused on this issue. Uh, but the, there's an entire industry of endpoint security products that are out there that have little, maybe little aspects of this, like they have Slack notifications, but maybe they're not interacting with end users. I think it would be it would have been foolish for me to kind of look at those little starts and fits that other companies were doing and say, okay, they're clearly going to head in that direction, so I'm just going to give up. I think it, it, if you're really focused and passionate about a problem, you should still go for it if there are existing incumbents in the space. And sometimes you'll find, you know, as you build out the entire idea and actually go through iterations of building it and getting it in front of real people, that where you started from actually changes completely by the time you actually ship something by the end of it. And you ended up in a completely different direction, but you're grateful for that journey. Um, and so I think it's, if you're passionate about a problem, uh, sometimes doing your market research can help, but I wouldn't let that influence your decision a hundred percent on whether or not you should actually move forward with it or not. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And it harkens back to a few previous episodes of great advice I got. Uh, first of all, it, you know, it's maybe there's a pre-existing product that doesn't tell a good story or present the solution as good. Um, and so there's that there's, uh, if there is a pre-existing product, it means that there is a market for what you want to do. Right. So just cause there's competition right. doesn't necessarily, I mean, look at all the calculator or weather apps, right. On like uh, right. the app store. Um, and, uh, and then the other one is from uh, a friend of mine, Scott Ballinger, who talked about how, um, kind of what you said about getting it out there into the hands of users, get an MVP out there as soon as possible and start getting feedback uh, because ultimately the users will shape the direction your product goes in. Yeah. And there's a good example of that at Collide when we first started this process, we really wanted to focus on connecting the security team with the end users. And, you know, the first step of that was really the security team be able to convey what issues are on those devices and give users step-by-step -step feedback. But when we did that, we realized that it felt really strange for an end user who didn't even know what Collide was to suddenly get this ping out of nowhere, like, hey, your device is missing these patches and your firewall is disabled and here are the steps of how you can resolve that. It'd be like if, you know, someone just burst in your house and was like just demanding things. And like <laughs> that wasn't something that we, it sounds funny in hindsight, but it wasn't something that we thought about when we were building like the MVP version. Right. Of, this, this, of this experience. So we spent a lot of time thinking about how can we really put people at ease on the privacy aspect of this. this and we actually arrived at an area where they actually self-install the agent. So we actually reach out to them via Slack as an introduction, explain what this whole thing is, and then you actually install the installation package that puts the, you know, the endpoint agent, the thing that gets all the telemetry on the device, uh, yourself versus it just being sort of foisted upon you by the IT security team. And that's something that doesn't exist. Like we are the only security company that I'm aware of that actually encourages you to have the end users to install the main piece that makes it work. And that was not something that we just like got in a room and we thought of like it just out of the sky. It was based on talking with real people and hearing their concerns. So um, 
the most novel parts I think about our system are due to the feedback that we've had from our earliest iterations, not things that we thought of before we embarked on on building anything. Yeah, that's that's such a great story, and it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, so I I I want to ask you the the title question here: How did you build it before pivoting into the more blue sky? Um, philosophical sort of questions, I guess. So you mentioned that this was a web app and a Slack app? Yes. Yes. So uh, funny story. We built it twice. And the first time we did not build it well. And um, I think it's because we took a very traditional, I think, startup-y, you know, VC-backed startup-y approach mm-hmm. to how are we going to to build our MVP? And we kind of embraced all the hot tech that was out there, right? We were like, okay, what's the, this is going all the way back to like 2017 or so. And we're like, we want to build it in Golang because Golang's really mm-hmm. good right now. Everybody's really talking about that. Uh, we're going to host it on Kubernetes because Kubernetes, you know, Google just released their own container, uh, you know, self or, or hosted version of Kubernetes. So let's put it on there. And uh, we want to, of course, use React and we want this to be microservices and, you know, so on and so forth. And what we ended up realizing was that we didn't suit the technologies that we chose to the actual talents that we had within the organization. We just assumed, uh, I would say sort of uh, naively, that we could just instantly transition to, from tech that we had known and grown up with to, I think, uh, really modern tech. And that ended up causing a lot of issues. In fact, most of the discussion in the company and the innovation that we're building was really just on the technical aspects of managing all these components. Versus what we should have been talking about, which is actually building the product and like having product discussions and what, are, what is the user experience of this going to look like and not really worrying so much about the architecture. So um, we kind of crashed and burned pretty hard, I would say, at the end of 2018 or so. And we decided, you know what, we are just building on top of this shifting sand and we just need to start over. And that's exactly what we did. And um, the model from that point forward was let's keep it as simple as possible and let's not concern ourselves with like these major architectural designs and like future scalability issues. I think that a lot of engineers really worry too early about scalability um, when it's not warranted. In fact, they're worried that they're going to have to scale up really, really fast and they're not going to be able to do it. Like their product is just going to be so successful, it's going to be like the next, you know, Twitter, or they're going to have like the same reaction that Clubhouse is having right now. And then suddenly they're going to be completely hosed and they're going to lose their moment. But that is so rare in, in, in practice. In fact, the thing that you should be optimizing for is not scaling up, but scaling down when your idea isn't quite right. If you make all of these financial investments, financial investments in the form of your time as an engineer, but also you know, shelling out money to, you know, Google Cloud Platform and AWS for all these expensive servers and container frameworks and things like that. It becomes really, really hard to actually scale that down to a financially feasible slow burn as you actually, you know, get your first few customers in the door and really understand what your product is. So I think it's more important that you protect yourself from not the outcome of your products going to, to, to exceed past your wildest machinations, it's can you actually protect yourself in a scenario, the most likely scenario where your product isn't going to do well and you need to learn a lot more about why and you need to at least a year or two of time frame to really be able to do that and make the iterations necessary. 
So try to figure out how you can scale your, your solution and your architecture down or make it so that it's easy to do that so you have as much time as possible. So um, in Collide, for us specifically, I was always a Ruby on Rails developer. Um, I started off in PHP land and then I, I really kind of fell in love with Ruby around the time. Uh, you know, PHP really started taking off with classes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But Ruby really kind of just grabbed me in. And so we just focused on that. Instead of like trying to host it ourselves, we just went to Heroku and um, we hosted the whole thing there. And you know what? It turns out like these, you know, platform as a service providers like Heroku and some of the other ones that are out there, they're popular with like, the Laravel community and everything. They are really, really good at helping you scale when you are successful. So right now, um, the biggest part of our app that's, I think, challenging from an architecture perspective is the fact that we have all these devices out there for our customers, like tens of thousands of devices, and they're all checking in on a regular interval to our you know, device server. And there's a lot of traffic to handle there. And, uh, but the reality is, is that it's web traffic and we can put the data in a database and we don't need all these like crazy hot technologies to layer into that to perform, I would say, very, very basic operations. Like data comes in, we save it in the database, we visualize it in a web app that's built in Ruby on Rails. And then on the Slack app side, Slack has made it really, really easy uh, with some very basic API primitives to have a really compelling experience. So we built that inside of the, the, the Rails app as well. And it's really, really simple. And it's something that we can maintain with three or four engineers, not like this horde of you know, hundreds of engineers that, you know, are really focused on the infrastructure and the operations and, oh, we need a front-end engineer. And that front-end engineer needs to collaborate with someone who's going to really be building a back-end API so they can plumb everything together. That's just not the reality of how the, you know, the financials work at an early stage startup. You need to be able to have features go out the door without a lot of different hands touching them. And the companies that have built all these crazy new technologies or not so much new now, they're huge. And they've built these technologies to solve organizational issues um, at their size. And that doesn't necessarily mean these technologies are appropriate for companies that only have two or three people in them um, because those, are, those problems are just non-existent um, at a company of that scale. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. In our fast-paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging often have significant consequences. With Text Expander, you can save time by converting any text you type into a keyboard shortcut called a snippet. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling, and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. Text Expander can also be used in any platform, any app, and anywhere you type. So take back your time and increase your productivity. But that's not all it does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. I can type out full instructions for my podcast editor, hi Joel, in just a few keystrokes. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is PPT. This will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it into plain text. No more fighting formatting if I'm copying from Word or any place else. 
Last month, I saved over two hours in typing alone. That doesn't even take into the account the time I saved by not having to search for the right link, text, address, or number. You have no idea how many times I want to type out a link to a blog post or an affiliate link and I can't remember it and then I have to go searching for it. That generally takes minutes, but since I have a text expander snippet, it takes seconds. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. I've been using it a lot more on my iPhone lately because I've been working from my iPhone more uh, because there are days when I'm just not in front of my computer right now. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or simple automation in general, now's the time. Listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know that I sent you. Thanks so much to Text Expander for sponsoring the show. And now let's get back to it. I'm a web developer. Uh, I'm sure this is for all programmers, but it's like, oh, did you see the new thing.js or whatever? Right. We should use the new thing.js. And I'm like, I don't want to use, like, why do I need to learn a new thing when I don't know if I'm even going to need it? You know, I was working on an app for a hosting company a couple of years ago and they're like, we should make this headless WordPress and use Gatsby. And I'm like, why? <laughs> There's no reason for us to use Gatsby. I don't know Gatsby. And if I have to learn Gatsby, I'm going to charge you the hours it takes me to learn Gatsby because we don't really need it. Um, right. And so I think you're absolutely right. And another, this was actually, this conversation here is is timely to when we record this because I was lamenting uh, how I was going to build out the community aspect of the membership. Uh, and, and again, I'm a, a web guy. I'm a WordPress guy. I was like, I'll just use like BB Press or Buddy Press two right. plugins that like bolt on the community. But like it didn't, it looked, uh, no offense to the the people who maintain BB Press, but it definitely looks like it was made in 2004. Um, <laughs> and I wanted something that looked nicer. And I was, and I was like, I could invest all of this, all of my own development time to make BB Press and Buddy Press work the way I want. Or I could just pay circle.so 30 or 40 bucks a month and have everything, right? And on Twitter, I got a lot of, well, like, why don't you just build, you should just build it yourself. I, that's what I did. Um, someone said, like, that's what I did, though, like, nobody's using the community. They kind of said tongue in cheek. And I'm like, so you invested all this time for nobody to even right. use the community. Like, that's right. So in two months, if nobody's using the community, I can just stop paying for Circle, right? Instead of burning hours. So, um, so you triggered me a little bit there, but I, in, in like the best <laughs> way possible, right? Again, do the minimum viable thing. Um, and instead of burning development hours when you don't need to for the sake of trying the new thing or, or using this tool that, that you want to try out. Yeah. And I think that you, you touched on something and, um, you said you've been doing web development for a while and I have as well. And I think that there's almost like a self-deprecating ageism thing that can kind of come up when you reach a certain age and you suddenly feel like there's all this new technology that's, it was a slow burn, like it was really kind of coming up and then it just appeared and then everybody started using it. And then you almost feel like, oh my gosh, am I becoming that old dude that doesn't mm -hmm. know what's going on anymore? And am I going to like be, am I, I going to be left behind? And then I think that type of anxiety and that sort of self-deprecating, am I really in the mix anymore, can force really bad errors of judgment in terms of, you know what, I need to learn something that you really don't need to learn. And in fact, might actually be worse than the thing that you already know. 
Um, and I think that when you're really young and inexperienced, everything is brand new and you don't have the benefit of the history of how all these things came together. So something that may not be optimal is fine by you and you're going to learn that thing. But it may, but when you're older and you have experience, you can compare and contrast how this new thing works compared to how you used to build stuff. And sometimes the new thing is way worse. And you're just like, why did I do this? When I actually was much happier and more productive and there were more, you know, there's more maturity in the libraries and there was more things for me to be able to kind of plug into this thing. What am I doing? And then I think that's where we ended up. And it sounds like it's a very easy problem to avoid. But when you get in your own head and you start thinking about those things, it can really force uh, these errors that really just don't need to happen early on in your company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the WordPress space, Gutenberg is the big thing and everyone's like, you need to learn React. I haven't learned React yet. I'm So far, I'm okay. Um, I'm like, I haven't lost a job because I haven't learned React. And uh, I'm reluctant. I mean, now it's probably, I know it's around to stay, but you know, I learned like Angular version one and then Angular was like, we're changing everything in version two. And then like React came out and then Vue came out. And I'm like, so what do I, I'm just going to solve the problem the best way I know how. And so uh, I think that this is really important. This could be translated so, to, to yeah, more than just, just programmers, say, by, too. I was just going to say, by the way, don't feel bad about learning React. We don't build a stitch of React at Collide, and we have an incredibly successful web application. I am 100% anti-React. That's basically what I was alluding to earlier when I said, you know, there's mm. these new things. I'm 100% on this camp of, let's bring as much back to the server side as possible. You know, like, I grew up in an era where when you coding for the web and you got to pick whatever language you want it didn't have to be javascript you could pick mm -hmm. anything you could build your you know you could build a web app in c plus plus you could build it in COBOL if you wanted to like it really didn't matter and that's the thing that's really special about the web is that if you know html and you want to build something on the back end you could do it in anything and that is not the case with really any other platform that's out there like if you want to build an ios app Yes, there's Electron and you know, React Native and all these other technologies. But if you really want to build a good app, you have to do it in Swift or Objective-C. Like you just right. have to. Like that's the lingua franca of the of the device. But on the web, that isn't the case. And I feel like these React folks who are now bringing like server-side React in, they're trying to make JavaScript the language of the web on both sides, which is fine for them. But as someone who hates JavaScript, I don't want to go there. And I think that that actually is really important that we preserve that aspect of, uh, of the web and, and how it came from and the, the flexibility and the freedom that's there. So my hope is that um, React maybe can stay on the client side. It doesn't end up being this thing that just eats the world because I think you can build really, really well-designed web apps that are performant, that are exciting, that are making millions of dollars without even running a stitch of it. So, and I hope that that continues to be the case and I'm advocating for a world where that exists. I didn't expect to say that on that podcast, on this podcast, but here I am. Oh, that's that's perfect. We can talk about more on this and build something more if it if it suits us, because I have a lot of opinions about that as well. Sure. Um, but uh, I do want to now that we've gotten really nerdy, I'll probably add uh, like uh, chapters, like podcast player chapters to this one, uh, because I do want to bring it back to the small business owner who yeah. is uh, maybe interested in building a SaaS, but. We're a year into a pandemic as we record this. 
maybe there's some economic uncertainty. It seems like the outlook changes every week. Um, why would we want to build a SaaS right now? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think it's very counterintuitive to say that actually it's a really good time to start thinking about new business ideas and specifically SaaS products right now. Um, but I, that's actually how I feel. Um, when you have these big societal shifts like the pandemic and everybody working remotely, they create opportunities where none existed before. And uh, that's very much the case at Collide. We started it before the pandemic, but we realized because of the pandemic, people's attitudes were really shifting about how devices were being, how security agents and like the, the, the surveillance that was happening on their device, the context of that just felt different when everybody was working from home than when you're in a cubicle and an office that's really maintained by your employer. And um, suddenly solutions like Slack and Microsoft Teams and all these things were in way greater use than they were. Um, most startups were using them and engineering style organizations were, but not like every company in the earth, on the earth. And now suddenly these organizations, they're looking for ways to use the existing apps that they've always used, but now in a context where everybody's remote and they really want them to be integrated uh, in these chat-like experiences. And so we just happen to be in the right place at the right time. But my advice to folks who are thinking about how do you capitalize on this pandemic specifically is start looking at what is the ideal interactions that, you know, these, you know, these business owners and, 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 and business uh, employees are really looking for in terms of like dealing with their HR app and, you know, how do I deal with expenses and things like that? Suddenly all the incumbents in the space are on their back foot because new players can enter in and really offer a compelling experience that feels way more relevant uh, to folks who are really now working from home and doing 100% of their communication through a chat window or maybe Zoom. And I think that that's, you know, the, the, the seed that can generate you know, this entire ecosystem of new stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic is really scary and people are losing their jobs and there's a lot of uncertainty there. But um, if you are someone who has an entrepreneurial spirit, you'll often find opportunity in those lowest points. Now, I I'm speaking from a position of privilege because I had the money to be able to kind of have the savings to be able to strike off and do it my on my own. I had some, you know, investors come in and things like that. And not everybody has that opportunity. but uh, I encourage folks uh, who can do that and feel confident in their ability to do that to find an opportunity, um, see where something isn't working, and draw from your own experience. If you're frustrated by something, it probably means there's tons of other folks that are frustrated by that exact same thing. It doesn't have to be this huge, massive, multi-million dollar startup. It can just be something small that you sell online, and you know you just you know get on Gum Road and you just throw something out there. It doesn't have to be even technology. It could just be an idea that you codify into a book that eventually can become uh, something that's backed by software or or something else that you can sell a subscription for. So I encourage folks to take like these dark times and and look for opportunities there because that's where new solutions can be born out of just changing circumstances. And this pandemic is certainly a big example of that. This episode is brought to you by the Events Calendar, the original calendar for WordPress. This free plugin helps you with calendaring, ticketing, and more powerful tools to help you manage your events from start to finish. Whether you run school events, concerts at a venue, or fundraisers for nonprofits, the Events Calendar gives you the tools you need to make it your own. 
And with the Events Calendar Pro, you can create custom views, recurring events, add your own custom fields to events, and much more. Run virtual events? No problem. With the Virtual Events add-on, you can quickly and easily manage your online-only or hybrid events. With deep Zoom integration, custom virtual event coding for search engine optimization, and the ability to embed video feeds directly on your website, the Events Calendar makes putting virtual and hybrid events together easier. And I can't stress this one enough. Let me tell you, I have tried to roll my own webinar software, my own live stream event software, and it is difficult and I have 20 years experience making websites. The event calendar is the tool that you need to make virtual events a lot easier. You can even sell tickets and only show the stream to ticket holders. If you run events, whether in person or online, you need the events calendar. Head on over to howibuilt.it slash events to learn more. That's howibuilt.it slash events to start running your events more efficiently today. Thanks so much to the events calendar for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. It is important to highlight um, that certain people are afforded certain opportunities uh, more than others, but I still, uh, in 2021, am a firm believer in the American dream. And I know that there are a lot of people who are still able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, um, and, and do things in a way to, to, you know, bring a better, um, put themselves in a better situation. Um, and you know, with the, with the government, like handing out money right now, um, if, if it's a little extra money that, Maybe I'm not a financial advisor, but you know, if it's if it's extra money that maybe you can put aside, invest in yourself a little bit and put that money towards having an MVP developed or something like that. Yeah, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different, and you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you got to take care right. of your bit essentials before you can really start thinking about these things. Um, you know, I don't want to get into the whole social economic situation of our country mm-hmm. right now, but the reality is is that. When you don't have a lot of money, and I know this from experience, you know, graduating from college and not having a lot of money, it weighs on you mentally. And you mm-hmm. suddenly just like a simple trip to the grocery store where today I can fly into the grocery store or now I don't even go. I just order, you know, online <laughs> and they just deliver it to me. But when I, uh, when, you know, before like last year, I would just go and I really wouldn't be looking too hard at the prices because right. I didn't have to. But when you're on a really tight budget, Suddenly, something as simple as going to the grocery store becomes very exhausting because you have to do all this math. Oh, is this check going to bounce because if I got this extra thing? And it can add up over time. So, you know, while I'm hoping that the relief uh, from COVID-19, I think, helps folks, you know, I I think it has a a chilling effect on maybe all those anxious thoughts. And maybe people can start thinking about higher order activities like career and building things and things like that. That's what that aid can sometimes help with. And my that's hope a, is that people see that that way. That's a much better point than I made. Listen to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Well, uh, man, we we covered a lot of ground here. Cybersecurity, uh, how things are built, starting a SaaS, socioeconomic conditions. Uh, before we wrap <laughs> up, I do need to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Yeah, so um, I kind of gave it away earlier. I was saving that for uh, the trade secret. But again, 
taking stock into how things change over time and then understanding where the opportunity is generated. And I just talked about how that was the case that collide with this pandemic and people really starting to wake up from the work from home situation. But there's things like that that happen all the time. And they don't have to be these monumental society shifts. Sometimes it's more of like a slow burn. Sometimes they're political. Sometimes it's something that's in the news. But things change all the time. And we sometimes just take for granted that all the things that we're doing today are going to be the things that we do forever. But it was just 20 years ago that we were driving a Blockbuster and renting movies that mm-hmm. way. And, yeah. and like everything has changed if you really think about it. And it, it's it very important to kind of pinpoint those moments where it tips just a little bit too much, where suddenly something that made a lot of sense and everybody wanted to do, it doesn't make any sense anymore and nobody wants to do it. And that's where you need to seize that opportunity and see that moment before anyone else does. And then hyper-focus on building something that solves a problem. And it's very important not to think about that academically. You want to think about it from your own experience, because if you're feeling that pain, others are feeling it as well, and you're solving a real problem versus like, I think this is a problem, I'm just going to take a guess. Be- second best thing you do is talk to people, but even better than that is you just have so much empathy for the problem because you are facing it. Those are the best places to start, and you could save a lot of time and shortcut a lot of market research if you know the problem inside and out because it's one that you have. So that's the trade secret is pick the problems that suit you because you're not going to have a lot of time to like meet thousands of people that experience this problem and come up to speed and do, and then build a whole thing yourself. Solve problems that you're familiar with and you understand because then you can get on podcasts like this and passionately talk about them um, without having to like do a ton of research for them because they're just part of you. So that's my, uh, my trade secret is solve problems that you have and you can build businesses on top of that if you do it well enough. I love that. Um, I feel like you read the blog post I published a couple of weeks ago where I, <laughs> I basically say that it's called like what, ba- uh, what baby clothes can teach you about your business or something like that. Um, basically how we have these baby clothes that must have been designed by a parent because there's, it's, they're so easy, right? It's like the, if uh, I, in the pre-show, I don't know if you want to make this public or not. Yeah, so no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So in the pre-show, we were talking about how you have a new, you're a new parent, eight, eight-month-old baby girl. Yeah, I have an eight-month-old son. It's, oh, man, that smile on your face right now that nobody can see but me <laughs> is just like the pure joy that a kid brings you. Um, like right before they throw up all over you. Um, That's right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so you've probably been awake in the middle of the night trying to change your kid. And these pajamas, this is a tangent, uh, are these, like they have a reverse zipper on them so that you zip up to unzip them. I, they must have been designed by a parent, right? Because like the snap on ones are definitely just designed by some random person who's never touched a kid before, but the reverse zipper ones, this person understood the problem the way that Jason is telling you to understand and solve problems. So bringing it back. Jason, this has been such a great conversation. Uh, If people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah, so I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but if there's one thing that you want to like look into be about is I want you to read Honest Security. um, And you can find that just by going to honest.security. That's the whole URL. If you want to learn a little bit more about Collide, uh, you can visit us on the web at K-O-L-I-D-E.com, Collide with a K. 
And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can hit me up at J Meller, J-M-E-L-L-E-R. Awesome. This has been uh, absolutely fantastic. Stick around for Build Something More, where we're going to talk about cybersecurity, maybe Clubhouse and JavaScript tools. There's a lot that we could cover, honestly. Uh, <laughs> uh, for all the show notes, as well as a link to the club, you can go over to howibuilt.it slash 218. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Text Expander, Restrict Content Pro, and the Events Calendar. And Jason, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>